Hello and welcome to another episode of GC Stories, the series where we speak to security services professionals with an extraordinary tale to tell. And we're delighted to be back for a second season with a whole new set of incredible stories from familiar faces who not only take us through their journeys, but also impart some wisdom and life lessons for us all. In today's episode, we talk with Paul Wilden, formerly of Standard Chartered and BMY Mellon, and now Global Head of Markets at Apex Group. Paul is an LGBT plus man who lives with a disability. And note that when he writes the word disability, Paul caps the A to put a focus on ability. In this podcast, Paul takes us through his journey from childhood to the workplace, giving us an insight on the challenges, experiences, and treatment that he has faced throughout his life. And this extraordinary tale of self-discovery, self-acceptance, and proving people wrong. From a man who seeks to put a positive spin on any experience, even the negative ones. Now, Paul is an incredibly inspiring and selfless individual who has emerged as a leader both within the financial services industry and within the charitable causes he contributes to. Now, I know everyone will enjoy this conversation just as much as I did. So here is my chat with Paul Wilden. Paul Wilden, welcome to the show. How are you? Very good. Nice to meet you, John. Good, good. And where, where are you calling in from today or where are you, you dialing in from? Um, I'm in uh, southeast London in the Burbs in a, in a very kind of uh, on a very grey uh, March day. Brilliant. Well, um, well Paula, I, I, I've read about your background and, and your story. Uh, I know you've got an amazing story to tell, so I'm really keen to get into it. Um, I think especially a lot of our guests have a story that, that's part of our, their lives, but your life really is the story, isn't it? So would you mind just starting by telling us a bit about your, your background and your journey, um, much of which, of course, is connected to your professional career? Thanks very much, John. Um, and thank you for the opportunity to talk a little bit about my kind of, I guess, my life story um, in terms of my experiences, both as a uh, man living with disability, but also as, as a gay man as well. Um, I'll start with the uh, talk a little bit about my kind of disability. Um, and I hate framing it that way. Um, and for me, when I use that word, I always capitalize the A, focusing on the ability. Um, uh, it, rather than anything else. Um, so I was born with a condition called uh, microsuretresia um, that is a congenital birth defect that tends to affect boys more than girls and the right ear more than the left ear. So I can kind of tick both of those boxes there in terms of it's my right ear and clearly I'm a boy. Um, uh, there are different stages of microsuretresia from level one through to four. Uh, I have level four, which is the most um, severe or extreme, which basically be, means I was born with just the, the bottom of my, my ear lobe. Um, my crochet tree literally translates to little ear, um, uh, and uh, it's a, a condition that um, uh, affects, I think, roughly about one in every 100,000 children that are born. Now, uh, as a child, I didn't know that. It's only sort of... Uh, as I've kind of gone through my life, I've become aware of some of those statistics as I've done my own research using things like you know, the internet and um, connecting with different kind of uh, groups that, um, that support uh, people living with these types of conditions. Um, from, from birth, I've had, uh, gosh, I think in total, I think I've had 11 surgeries all told. The most uh, extreme um, almost uh, severe were uh, one when I was about the age of seven where they moved, moved cartilage from my rib cage 
to make an ear for me. Um, and then the second was the only one that I chose to have, which was in 1994, where um, the surgeon drilled through my skull to make me um, an ear canal. Um, and the result of that particular surgery was that I then had roughly 30% hearing on my right side. Um, that has now reverted back to being profound deafness because the hole was closed up over time. Um, but I did have a period of time where I had a little bit of hearing on my on my right side that created its own challenges because I'd got used to only having one ear and being able to place sound within a, a space. Um, and then when I got the 30% hearing, all of those sounds moved. So I then had to work out where where the sound was, com was coming from. Um, as a child, um, I, I was bullied a little bit at school um, because of my ear. I used to wear my hair below my ear, um, I guess because that was probably a, a confidence issue. Um, and to some extent, that might have been from, what, from my parents' perspective, not just mine, in that it was a way to kind of protect me by having my kind of ear uh, covered up. But you know, the bullying was on the school bus where in a neck lock and my hair uncovered so people could, could point and um, you make nasty comments about my, my ear. And that's something I kind of, I do remember that experience even today. Um, other things that I can recall from childhood, uh, I remember um, the, the nuns from the, the church that my, my parents went to, including I went to, um, convincing my mum and dad that it was a good idea to uh, send me on something called the HCPT, Handicapped Children's Pilgrimage Trust, to, to Lord, in the hope that I would be cured. Um, and I can remember the, the train journey um, and looking at some of the, the uh, severely handicapped children on that, um, on that uh, train, going on that pilgrimage and yeah, end of life scenarios as well and wondering if that's what was going to happen to me. Um, I then sort of did, uh, as is quite normal, I think, uh, a rite of passage and that I decided after I'd finished my kind of schooling and studies that I was going to backpack around the world. And part of the reason why I, I wanted to take that sort of time out and get away from um, the, the home and the protective environment that I'd grown up in was I, I needed to kind of find myself and express who I was. And that was in part to deal with uh, my ear um, and look to put that on display, which I did as I had my kind of hair cut, cut short for the first time, um, but also to deal with um, the, the burning issue I had around my sort of sexuality. Um, I knew I was a gay man, but I, I needed to sort of step away from you know, the, the strong Catholic upbringing I'd had and try to kind of deal with the, the guilt that comes with Catholicism and, and you know, the, uh, you, you being a gay man. Um, and, and I sort of came back from that sort of around the world trip, having sort of dealt with um, definitely with, with, the, with the ear. Um, and that was then the catalyst of me having the, the surgery done where the, um, the surgeon drilled through my, my skull to make the ear canal. Um, but it also gave me the, the headspace to then sort of deal with the, um, uh, the issues around my kind of sexuality. Um, my career then sort of started to evolve um, once I came back from that kind of year out. Um, I started working in, in Citibank um, back in, gosh, that would be 1993. 
and spent three years at City, moving on to Barclays for four years, then on to BMY Mellon, um, Standard Chartered, and then you know, a couple of institutions outside of the banking arena, uh, which culminated in me joining um, Apex Group just, just over a year ago. Um, during my, my career, um, I've gone on a, on a bit of a journey, both in the context of my sexuality and, and my ear in terms of wanting to share information about my uh, experiences and who I was as an individual. Um, and there was a time, and I guess in the early part of my career, in the sort of mid to late 90s, where um, I didn't necessarily want to share my experiences um, uh, as a gay man or living with a disability because um, I wasn't ready to. I was going on my own kind of personal journey in terms of my levels of confidence around who I was as, as an individual. Um, and it was a um, it was a decision to to leave BMY Mellon at the end of 2009 that really was the catalyst for me doing some work on me um, and trying to kind of get to the bottom of of um, my own I'll call them issues I hate using that word because it's got a negative connotation but really trying to understand who who I was as an individual and what kind of drove and motivated me. So there was a lot of kind of reflection and, and um, questioning that, that I both asked myself, but also my, my parents as well at the time. Um, and I went from being sort of Paul Wilden, managing director of BNY Mellon, to being Paul Wilden after I made the decision to leave um, BNY. Um, and that, that made me kind of stop and think, well, what about my ear? What does that mean to me? Um, or what about the experiences I've had going back to, to childhood, but also um, a, in my kind of journey as a, as a gay man living in a, a very kind of, I guess, body conscious part of society as well. Um, when I looked to some less than perfect, um, you know, I would make the comment, and I have made the comment many, many times that. Um, uh, on reflection, I wouldn't change anything about who I am as an individual. Um, if I was starting out again, I would still be born with one ear. Um, I would still go through um, some of the less pleasant experiences that I had, as well as the positives as well, because there's been a lot of positives that have come out of, of my experience. And there's been humour there as well. So I can remember the first time that I I met somebody that had the, the same... Um, condition as me the same year um, and it was my it was my first business trip to New York when I worked for Citibank and I can remember being in the uh, the hotel gym and seeing somebody across the gym that had the same ear uh, and I can remember sort of being sat on the machine thinking well how am I going to get from where I'm sitting here to where that person is to have a conversation with that person about their ear um, uh, and it just felt a bit naff to kind of just wander over and say, well, I've got the same ear as you. But I did have that kind of conversation. Um, and it was such a meaningful and important conversation for me. And I still remember it vividly today. Um, and I can remember him telling me that um, he'd actually had a, a Velcro ear that had been stuck onto the side of his head, whereas I'd had a lot of surgery. 
um, and he was very much in, into sport. And he said his ear would often fall off and people would just shout apps out to him on the pitch. Oh, you dropped your ear. Um, so he went on, pick it up and sort of stick it back on and, and, and carry on. So that, I guess, is sort of part of, of, of the humour. Um, less humorous is the fact that my, you know, my parents were told that I would never be academically successful because I would miss so much in the classroom because of my profound deafness. Um, one of the things they very consciously did is they made the decision to put me into mainstream school rather than going into any kind of special school, which was absolutely the right thing to do. Because if you compare and contrast individuals whose life has started in a special school versus those that have gone through mainstream, there's a very big difference in terms of those career opportunities that they have, um, which is a which is a nice sort of um, reference point for me to kind of think about some of the experiences I had at, at sort of Standard Chartered Bank in, in Singapore. Um, I, I very much have taken the view throughout my life that I want a career, I don't want a job, um, and I want to be given the opportunities to be as successful as I can possibly be. Um, others I met at Standard Chartered that um, had um, uh, different types of, sort of physical disabilities were just grateful for the opportunity for, to, to have a job, to be able to earn a living and, and provide for, for their families. Um, and for me, hearing that kind of reference was... Um, very kind of important in, in terms of understanding real time that there are different needs and wants and asks for uh, individuals living with sort of disability. It isn't a one size fits all. There are different people on different journeys, having different experiences at different times. So it's having the ability to kind of recognize, acknowledge and embrace the, the, the differences. Um, you know, I also had the opportunity at Standard Chartered to be interviewed for the Business Forum on Disability that I think has got a slight kind of rebranding now. Standard Chartered is, is a gold member of um, the forum. And they asked me if I was willing to be interviewed um, uh, um, for a, 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 a session that kind of was entitled Why Bother? Um, and it was why it was all about why somebody with a disability should bother to even try to have a career um, so it was it was a, an opportunity for me to kind of again reflect on, on my experiences and, and think about um, the opportunities that I've had um, both a combination of my hard work an element of luck um, and just being in the right place at the right time um, and I am I am incredibly grateful for the experiences that I've had one of the lessons I've learned is that, that you always need to find the way to put a positive spin on a negative experience. So, um, you know, I've had a series of, of, of throughout my life of, of events that have been more, more negative. Um, and I've been able to sort of take some of those experiences and adapt and apply those in a more positive way, whether that's to... Um, my own situation or through sharing my experiences as a way to um, help people um, understand that they're not alone. Um, there are others that have gone before and there'll be others that go after them in terms of their own kind of journeys. Mm. 
Is that why you find it important to share your story? Because of the ones that will come after? Yes, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, I do that for, for two reasons. I do it for selfless reasons and for selfish reasons. Um, I think having that, the ability, the forum, the platform to share can only be helpful for, for others that may be struggling or uh, wondering if there are others that are dealing with the same challenges that they're dealing with. And, and I also do it because even at the age of 52, um, I, I am still dealing with my own kind of you know, disability um, and learning how to adapt and um, be successful. Um, in the last year, I've seen that with COVID. Um, yeah, I can't wear a mask because I've only got one ear. Um, so how do I hinge that mask on? So I've had to come up with a workaround that works for me and try and find a ways to kind of play my part um, and be a good you know, corporate citizen and citizen um, of the world in terms of um, not putting myself or others um, at risk. Paul, yeah, you mentioned different periods of adversity i mean i'm sure you know in every day for you there, there might be some kind of feeling of adversity but it sounds like that's driven you now everyone has you know adversity some people um you know don't cope with it so well others it drives them and, and it sounds like you're the latter uh we're lucky enough to obviously catch up before the podcast you told me a story about um the fact that you were told you could never be a pilot because of your disability. Um, would you mind sharing that story and, and talking about the, what happened there and, and your, your mindset around that? Yeah, I, mean, I guess you know, all of us as, 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 as kids, um, uh, you, you get that point where you, know, you start, start being asked questions. So what do you want to do? What is your career going to be? Um, and um, as a kid, you, we, we sort of did... Um, summer holidays where you, you would go off on, on on a plane and for me the most exciting bit about the trip was the plane ride you know, I didn't really care about what happened down route it was it was the plane so I became very interested in the idea of becoming a pilot but unfortunately I, I was told that because of my profound deafness um, I, I would never be able to be a commercial pilot because you can imagine the scenario I'm in the cockpit and air traffic control is saying you know ascent to 15,000 feet. I think they say descent. Um, <laughs> you can see how that potentially could kind of play out. Um, but for me, a, a lot of um, uh, you know, the challenges that I was given in terms of when you can't do that because, yeah. um, I, I would see that almost as a red rag to a bull and, and then go off and say, well, no, I'm going to do that because. Um, so I didn't become a commercial pilot, clearly, um, but I did get approval to get my PPL, my private pilot's license, uh, and had a number of sort of flying lessons um, and passed the um, the uh, the checks in terms of my hearing, my ability to to um, fly a, a small kind of single engine sort of Piper Cherokee, which is which is a brilliant story and says a lot about you, Paul, and and obviously. Yeah, you've talked about your career path. You've obviously achieved a lot there. When when did you get to the moment where you thought, I want to start talking about about this to 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 help others? Um, and yeah, you you mentioned that I saw a Q and A with you, and you said I don't want my disability or sexuality to define me. So how do you share your stories without it defining you, whilst still helping others? I mean, that's a difficult one. I, I try to strike a balance because. 
um, I, I try to lead with um, my corporate role. What I do today, for example, for Apex Group is the, the head of the capital markets business. So I, I try to kind of lead with that because I'm in this role because I'm, I'm an SME. I, I understand the space. I understand the products, the services. Um, and I, I've got a, a value proposition related to that. What I then look to try and do is um, think about the adjacencies. So if, if there's an opportunity for me to introduce something else about me um, and recognising in this industry, uh, a lot of what we do is actually driven by relationship um, and the relationship you build with individuals through sharing some of your sort of personal stories, but also being that subject matter expert that can add value to a, a, you know, a new opportunity or new kind of business discussion. So I try to kind of combine um, the two. So whilst you having the disability uh, and then being a gay man, they absolutely don't define me, but they've played a role in moulding me. Um, and they definitely uh, have played a role in terms of my kind of my views and my perspectives on life um, so I would try and kind of categorize it but that way I do find that I, I can very easily talk about the bond markets or the loan markets um, and I can stand in front of a, of a crowded room or be in an auditorium and, and talk very eloquently and confidently about that but when it comes to talking about me and my own personal journey I do find that much much harder as much as I'm enjoying this conversation, at the same time that there are nerves there as well. And for me, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about the selfless and selfish reasons. This helps me doing this. I know I'm convinced this will help other people as well, whether that's people living with disability or people that just are trying to improve their awareness of the types of journeys that people like me have gone on. You mentioned that you met someone in a, in a gym uh, in New York with a with a, a similar condition to you, and you weren't exactly sure how to approach him, how to how to start the conversation. What, what do you say to people, um, uh, whether it's professional colleagues or or someone you know you, you're talking to at a bar over a drink that that want to talk to you about your disability or or your sexuality and how it impacts your profession or, or just your life in general? Do you kind of welcome those conversations and you know, how? How do you feel? How would you kind of advise someone to, to start it with you? I mean, I welcome them. Um, they don't happen as, as, as often or as much as they could or should. Um, uh, and I think that the more we talk, the better. Um, I mean, the most recent example for me of this happening was um, at Heathrow Airport when we were all still able and allowed to travel. Um, and... Um, I was going through the x-ray machine, so laptop out of the bag, belt off, shoes off. Um, and as I was starting to put everything kind of back in, um, this chap tapped me on the shoulder and sort of said, I hope you don't mind me asking, but my son's got the same condition as you, the same ear. Can you tell me a little bit, a bit about your experiences? Um, uh, and I, I was so appreciative of the opportunity to share some of my experiences. Um, with a view to giving him a degree of comfort and confidence that it was all going to be okay for him and for his son. I, I, I would absolutely welcome 
anyone and everyone to 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 ask and i've sort of found you during my life that that it tends to be the kids that ask uh, and the parents are saying to the kids oh no no don't ask don't ask um, yeah. because the children they don't have the filters they, they they've got the curiosity and they want to know mm-hmm. so they will ask um i i find it um harder to deal with people that um are looking and obviously looking but then don't ask because then i'm like in my own head i'm thinking right well do i say something because, <laughs> of course, yeah. because they, they they want me to say something to because they're not sure how to 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 engage, or do I leave it because equally they're uncomfortable about asking? And I don't want to increase their discomfort, so it's it's a difficult one, and I, I guess it's case by case. Yeah, it's interesting. You must have uh, have had various challenges throughout your life because, like you said, you, know, you might be you might be more comfortable in yourself, and then something like the the mask issue comes along uh, out of nowhere. So. Um, yeah, I feel like your your journey is kind of ever evolving, and you know, looking at your your CV and, and your professional background, I noticed you you live lived abroad um, in some of your roles uh, in, in Singapore in, in one. So, yeah, how what was it like, obviously moving to other countries? And you know, we've we've talked about disability, but um, in terms of you know, your sexuality and living in a, a country or another country, um, you know, do you have to kind of deal with new challenges when you move abroad? The short answer is yes. Um, what you've got to kind of decide, and I think this is very much a, a kind of a, it's a personal de- decision if you are on your own. It's a collective decision if you've got a, a partner or, or, or a family in terms of you, where are you willing to compromise? Where are those boundaries for you uh, uh, as an individual when you try to strike the balance between your professional life uh, and your personal life? Um, I mean, I took the view prior to moving to um, to Singapore that if I ever wanted to stand a chance of having a global role, I had to do more than just work in one region. Um, so for me, um, I, I was very keen to have the opportunity to, to live in another country in another part of the world um, to help me with my own personal career strategy in terms of where I aspired to get to. Um, so when the opportunity to move to Singapore came up, um, that that created some, some challenges for me initially. And I say initially because once I actually arrived in Singapore, my experience was 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 different. Um, but from the outside looking in, um, for me, if Singapore was a country where where being gay um, uh, was illegal or is illegal. I felt that with the little knowledge I had before moving to Singapore, I was potentially putting myself at risk as a consequence of my lifestyle. Um, the reality was was very different, but it was a conversation I had with myself in terms of, okay, what am I comfortable doing and what aren't I comfortable doing in terms of a, a compromise? Um, uh, so I, I think it, it, it's very personal. Uh, and it's what you're 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 willing to to accept and and deal with in terms of of, of compromise. Um, and life is is about compromise. Um, I think you know with hindsight, you know now looking back, um, I absolutely made the right decision. Um, uh, I'm married to a Singaporean. Clearly, we got married over here. Um, but my my experience of living in 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 Asia was phenomenal. 
Um, um, I, I'm so privileged to, to have had that opportunity. Um, and it, it's definitely had a huge impact on me in terms of my kind of views of the world and also where I've managed to get to both professionally, but also through um, my uh, active involvement now in a number of, sort of charities that relate to my kind of experiences growing up with disability. Brilliant, Paul. Well, thank you. Uh, the The final question I want to ask is actually the question that I tend to ask at the end of, of the final three questions that I ask every guest. So this is this is to kind of wrap things up. Um, like I said, we ask uh, each, each guest on the, the show three questions. Um, and I, I'd let's start with asking you, yeah, because I'm sure we, we talked about your experiences shaping you. I'm sure the people in your life, both kind of professionally and personally, have, have shaped you and supported you a lot through your career. Um, who from within the, the you know, capital market security services industry that you worked with or alongside has inspired you? So the person that, that, that immediately springs to mind for me um, is a, uh, a lady called Karen Peets. Um, Karen was the, the head of the corporate trust division at BNY Mellon um, when, um, uh, when I was there. I mean, she's clearly gone on to, to bigger and better things, and she's now um, uh, at Citibank. But what I um, admired about her, um, and it's very topical in the lead up to um, International Women's Day, was uh, her ability to um, share her experiences um, with a lot of the women within BMI in terms of your ability to have a career and how she manage the, the the challenges of 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 a uh, an important um role at the bank versus an important role at home um and uh, she's someone who i've enjoyed working with um there's still yeah, a connection today even though we've not worked together for a very very long time but she's probably the person that, that first springs to mind I and mean, there clearly are going to be others but i'll, I'll stick with karen for the purpose of this this discussion. Brilliant. Yeah, sorry for making you pick one person for each of these questions. That I say. <laughs> it's not easy to do. Uh, and, and following up on that, I could I ask you who's inspired you outside of your professional life? So this one's an interesting one, um, I, and I'm going to I'm, I'm going to mention two people here. Um, the first one is is uh, my grandfather on my mother's side, who was very successful himself in terms of his own um, career but who, uh, when I was born, um, offered to give up one of his ears so I could have two. The other person um, I'm going to mention is a chap called James Partridge. So James unfortunately passed away last year and he founded the charity Changing Faces and then went on to found Face Equality International that I'm now a, a trustee of. James was injured in a car accident um, at the age of, I think, 18 or 19. Uh, basically, the car rolled over, the petrol tank blew up, and he suffered burns. I have a, a facial disfigurement. He had one. Mine was from birth. His was from accident. Um, and he was somebody that I first met um, after I left BMY Mellon was having a conversation with myself in terms of, well, who am I as an individual? And he helped me immensely in terms of my own journey in relation to my, my ear uh, and helped me with the decision I then made to find ways of trying to kind of give back. Um, hence why I'm on the board of a couple of charities now and doing things like this as well as, as a means to 
to share experience and help others. Brilliant. Thanks, Paul. Um, and I appreciate when we were, we were talking previously, you told me some very moving and, and you know, emotional stories about, about talking to your parents and, and about your husband. And yes, yeah, so, like I say, sorry for making you narrow these all down to, uh, <laughs> to, to a couple of people, but um, obviously yeah, a lot of people that, that have shaped your, your life. And I, I think one thing that's really stood out to me is that I think you mentioned the word success a couple of times, talking about your success, others' success. And I think everyone that comes onto this show has, has experienced success because they're now in a position where where they're they're talking to to, to us on the GC uh, story series. But um, you know, as well as success in you know, your your professional life, you've clearly had it in in your personal life. And I would say being on charity boards and uh, you know, telling your story and advising others and inspiring others is success in itself as well. So yeah, the the last question I had, um, which which I'm really really excited to ask you is yeah what is the biggest life lesson you've learned that you would like to pass on to others everything happens for a reason um and it 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 comes down to how you you deal with the situation um and we all have the the ability to make a decision around glass half full glass half empty and we all have the ability to take a situation and then um try and find a way to find a positive out of it. Um, and that, that may happen quickly. That may happen over time. It could be a bit of a light bulb moment when, when something happens. Um, I mean, I mentioned earlier, I'm sort of now sort of 52. At the age of 22, even 32, I wouldn't have been comfortable having this type of conversation. So everyone's journey is, is personal. Everyone's experiences and how they deal with them uh, are personal. But I would try to always focus on the positive because there always is a positive in there somewhere. Uh, and it's being able to kind of latch onto that and, and find a way of, of using that to, to not just to help you, but to help your others, whether they're people that are close to you or beyond that. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, the, the whole point of, of this series is, is, is about inspiration and motivation and, and support. Um, it sounds like you know, from from the child in the airport to to anyone that's listened to this podcast. I hope there's there's lessons to be learned from from your story and inspiration to be taken from it. Um, you know, even if we can inspire one person from this, it's it's a success. So um, thank you for being open and honest and, and sharing your story. Um, we really appreciate it, and, and I think it's a, a fascinating one to tell. So, Paul, thanks very much for being on the show today. Well, no, thank you very much, and thank you for the opportunity.